Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to our weekly podcast for practice managers. This is a recording of the webinar run on Wednesday the 22nd of July. Can I just comment on the practice manager conference last week, which I thought was excellent. Um, and the feedback was really good as well. Um, you know, if I go back over my career working at the LMC and I was a chair for eight years before I uh, started working in the office, and I, I can see how things have transformed and evolved as the role of the practice manager has grown and changed. And the LMC, when I started, really did have very little involvement with practice managers. And you're so crucial to not only the running of general practice, but supporting your individual practices, but also within the system. So I thought the the stuff in the, uh, apart from the first presenter um, and the person who followed on for me was much better than me, but I thought the rest of the stuff was really good. And I think when practice managers present um, what they've done as the interview with Jane um, Dawes, it, it is just um, inspirational. I can say no, no, nothing different than that. You know, when there is, uh, I sit on national calls where GPs moan and groan about everything, and then you see what's going on in uh, parts of uh, our area, and it really is um, truly amazing. And uh, I know it doesn't happen everywhere, and it can't happen everywhere. We're all in different circumstances, and we've all got different opportunities. But I just like to uh, thank you all for all you do. I um, Please don't report this back to the doctors in your practice, but I know uh, for many, we're not as grateful as we should be and don't recognize you as much as we should do. So let's move on to, I've got a few things I wanted to talk about this morning, if that's okay, um, Louise and Carol. Um, flu. So we are expecting a letter from NHS England towards the end of this week. Um, and a number of things are a challenge. You know, every year, uh, we come up early in the year, order your flu vaccines, and then, you know, there's repeated contacts with you about what are you going to do about this, what are you going to do about that. This year will be different. And why is it different? So there is a real fear of having a second spike of COVID and at the same time having a significant outbreak of influenza. And if you have the two together, the NHS uh, will struggle to cope. Now, a couple of good things is the level of COVID locally is very low, and I'll talk a bit more about that uh, later. And also, um, we tend to get what Australia's had. So Australia's in their flu season at the moment, Australia, New Zealand, and the levels of infection are relatively low. So on one level, we can be hopeful, but we shouldn't be complacent. So this year, and they're still waiting for national agreement, our expectation is that... Um, We'll look at the usual groups of those over 65, those at risk under 65, but we think there will also be additional groups. So we think they may look to go down to um, 60, 55 or 50, depending on the availability of vaccine and how much that might cost. They'll also look at the targets. And as you will know, that for some of the targets at the at risk group, um, they run at about 55%. Those targets will probably, and we don't know yet, will probably be increased to 75%. So this idea of there will be a mass flu campaign this winter, there will be, we expect, a lot of media coverage. But the expectation from NHS England, Department of Health, etc., is that we will vaccinate far more people this year than we would in a normal year. 
So that comes on to vaccine supply. So please don't worry about vaccine supply. So the government has secured additional vaccines. At the moment, we don't know whether they'll be distributed to providers or whether um, they will become available to order in. So at the moment, I would wait till the letter comes out and we're clearer. The second bit is the logistics. And we've got quite a lot of information out. Um, practices have looked at how they would do it. To me, the key two factors are social distancing and PPE. So, for example, if you have to wear full PPE and change your PPE between each patient, that means the time taken per patient is going to be significant. If you could do it with a no-touch technique, so the patient comes into your room, they don't sit down, you jab them without touching them and you just wash your hands to the next one, you can probably get through people quite quickly. Now, we don't know whether that's going to be safe or not, but that's what they're looking at nationally, I am led to believe, that the um, process of um, how you protect the patient and how you protect yourself is going to be critical to how we manage this. So that will actually link into capacity. Um, also, remembering that the quaff for flu and screening, the points are doubled this year to reflect the importance of not only the um, childhood immunizations, um, the flu immunizations, but also the um, cancer screening. Um, so that's that. Um, there's a lot of talk about COVID vaccine. So my understanding is there are about 23 different vaccines produced around the world. We've been part of a trial in Southampton, which has been largely in the Southampton area from phase one and two trials. So they've done it in healthy people, they've done it in frontline workers. And the early suggestion is that this is working um, well. So they're about to move into the next phase of the trial and they're recruiting much more widely across um, Dorset and Hampshire. And there will be starting centres in Southampton, Portsmouth, north of Winchester and in Bournemouth. So we'll be supporting that. And that is not vaccinating everybody, but this is extending the trial um, and seeing where that will go. I don't know when the vaccine will become available if it does. My hope and expectations it will. I, at this stage, um, wouldn't like to guess, but if they're going to do the sort of more widespread trials, it seems unlikely that that's going to be available at the same time as we do the flu vaccination. So I think that's watch this space. Um, I'd like to move then on to the DDRB, the Doctors and Dentists Pay Review. So that was published yesterday and the um, headlines, which I'm sure everybody has seen, is that um, for consultants and junior doctors um, and dentists uh, and uh, in inverted commas salary doctors, they're recommending a 2.8% uplift. Within the GMS contract, which we talked at some of the early roadshows, which we were able to hold before the lockdown, there was a part of the five-year deal is there was an amount put into the baseline to reflect uplifts. If the uplifts are more than that, then it will be looked at for the following year. So within the baseline, there was 1.8% is the figure we have got. In terms of the 2.8%, there will be more guidance coming out from the BMA. But the bottom line is, uh, I'm sure salary doctors um, particularly will be coming and saying to you, I want my 2.8% because that's what the DDRB has said. What you need to do is look in your contract. So if you've got a BMA model contract that's not been amended, or if you have amended it, what does it say about um, annual increments? In the model contract, it does say that the increase each year will be 
in line with the recommendations of the DDRB, in which case contractually you'll be required to give the um, 2.8% increase. Some practices uh, negotiated with their staff and that clause was not in there. So it was up to um, each year for you to contract to do it. So the 2.8% is largely looking at the range of uh, pay for salary doctors, the upper and lower limit, and then it depends on what you've got in your contract. So for many of these things, and I probably need to tell you this less than uh, I would tell GPs is, you know, before people want to say, I, I, I get this or that is look at your contract. Um, the next thing I want to just talk about is being open and open but closed. So um, I've sent a lot of information in the last couple of newsletters. The message from practices um, is variable. And I think none of us who work in general practice or work to support you are in any doubt that the workload um, in general practice has increased significantly over the last few weeks and has probably got back to where it was before we went into lockdown and is increasing more. But um, the politicians particularly, but NHS England, are getting a significant number of complaints from patients that they can't access their practice, and they're being given the message by some practices that uh, there is no provision for face-to-face, -face. it has to be done online. And I think it's really important we get the messaging. It does not help us with national negotiations if the message is that practices have their doors locked and aren't seeing any patients. And some of the patient participation groups and Health Watch are also feeding that back. So please, please, please look at the messaging within the latest um, newsletter that I've sent out and share that on social media um, via SMS or on your website or whatever you do to, to, to explain to patients that what we're trying to do is keep them safe. So the total triage system is important um, despite the low levels of COVID. And I've recently had quite a um, abusive letter from a patient about how dare I write a letter about face masks and I don't really understand what's going on. I can assure you I absolutely do understand. I see all the figures on a daily basis locally what's going on. So I know the level of COVID, but I know also know the level of risk. Um, I would also then just go on to winter planning. So I know practices are beginning to think about and ccgs are as well we've got hot hot and cold sites so with the level of covid hot sites are getting less and less busy or have done for a few weeks so some have stood them down but we have some real concerns about going into the winter november december january particularly when we might have a local surge of covid and at the same time you've got people who've got temperatures who've got other winter viral illnesses and how do you differentiate between covid and them so there's a whole range of issues that come up, which is, you know, are we going to antigen test people? Are patients going to become more concerned? So rather than self-treat, they're going to contact us or the CCAS service more. And to some extent, we don't know the answers to those. But just to reassure you, we're giving some thought and some planning as to quite how we would suggest that um, could be handled. If you've discussed it in your practice, in your PCN, and you've come up with some WISO plan, that you're prepared to share with us, please, please share with us. If you've got great ideas, share with us because that's the best way we can share it with other people who can learn from your thinking. Because actually the innovation that's gone on in general practice with COVID has been really quite stunning. The rapidity in which you can find solutions to the problems and implement them when you're not um, um, 
restricted by some of the barriers and um, regulations that are put in at other times. Um, and I think that's all um, I've got to say at the moment. Thanks, Nigel. Carol, do you want to carry straight on and we'll do the questions after that? Uh, yeah, if you would like that, that's absolutely fine. Okay, mine are all quite uh, short, sweet, and to the point, we hope. Um, so, uh, just a reminder that your PCNs have got a deadline to submit their workforce forecasts, which is by the 31st of August. This is for the additional roles and responsibilities scheme. And I've been very good today because Nigel's on the call. I haven't done my usual acronym that makes me giggle like a child. Um, so just to let you know, if you're thinking of, of employing and it's going to be across the PCN, have to go onto that forecast. Um, so make sure that that's uh, known about. The other thing I want to talk to you about is I think you're starting to um, become aware that those of you who are using AccuRx, um, which is most of you, uh, they have now put out, as was expected, what the fee scales are going to be, that things are not going to be totally free um, from April next year. Um, we have been assured that the costs will be covered centrally up until the end of March next year. The GPC is working on um, looking how this can be funded going forward. Um, they are quite determined that this cost is not going to fall to individual practices, but it's early days yet, but we've got until next March to try and get um, a proper solution. So we'll be working on that. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about um, was, um, sorry, oh, PCSE. I think most of you have had emails now about the new system that's gonna be taking over from Open Exeter. Right at the very beginning, you told us, we told them, the GPC told them that the one thing that was vitally important to all of us was that you could look back on your schedules at previous quarters, previous months, previous years. And it looks from what they've done is that that was out of scope and you're only going to have your current monthly schedule available at any one time. We're still going to work on this because we do think it's important and we're going to try and get PCSE to change its mind. This comes in in September, so it's quite a short time scale. So what we would say to you is your schedules that you've got now, if you are likely to want to look back on them, take screenshots now and save them now um, and then continue to do that as the new ones come until we can get a solution around that. Otherwise, um, I know you, your, your accountants are likely to have them, but you don't want to lose that data, it's vital. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, and I don't know, Nigel, if you want to mention anything about this, is about the HEALS Medical Service. So we've had some queries around GPs who have been, or are still high risk, who are shielding. Um, and, you know, we've been quite clear where you can't do a risk assessment or you've done a risk assessment and you're not in full agreement with the GP about what that means for their return. You, we have been quite clear you need to get a specialist occupational health assessment so that it's, it's um, given assurance around that return or non-return, depending on what it is. Um, we now understand that the HEALS medical contract, the occupational health contract for GPs, does not cover COVID. 
um, they had a, a set contract that's been commissioned from them. COVID is over and above. So they are making a charge to practices, even for GPs and, and you know, they will, will do other staff, but obviously you'd have to pay for those and we knew that. Um, our view at the LMC is it's a COVID related issue. You would not have to have these doctors um, assessed by occupational health had it not been for COVID. And therefore, we believe it should be claimable from the COVID fund. But we have only just been given this information. So we're currently talking to all the CCGs. I think Nigel's view is that if you do need to send a doctor for occupational health assessment because you can't agree, talk to your CCG before you do it to make sure you're going to get the funding back. Is that right, Nigel? Yeah, I'd go a bit wider. I don't think this is just about GPs. I, uh, what, I mean, the NHS is not going to pay for every single NHS employee to have a risk assessment, um, which I think as employers, we have a responsibility to do. But we have talked to the CCGs about the exceptional circumstance where you may have a doctor or another member of staff who there is difficulty with them returning to work because of their shielded status. So some of it, it's quite clear, you know, if somebody's immunocompromised and uh, can't work in a surgery, I think some of those fall into quite a clear category. But I know some members of staff who want to come back, but practices are nervous about their liability if they bring them back. So what we've said to the CCGs is we think on an exceptional basis, those assessments should be funded. Now, as Carol says, there's a letter that's come out from NHS England regionally, which has basically said this is the assessment for the risk assessment is not part of the responsibility of NHS England and it's for practices to um, pay for. Now that's where I agree with what Carol's just said is that um, we think that's a COVID expense. How, how can it not be? Because we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for COVID. But if you spend the money to have it done and then you submit a bill to NHS uh, to the CCG, they may, might not be prepared to pay for it. And one or two of them have gone to for example, the hospital occupational health department to get some capacity there to help practices. So um, as with a lot of the expenditure related to COVID, please ask before you do it because you might not get it reimbursed. I am hoping that within the next week when they publish the flu letter and a number of other things, the National COVID Fund for General Practice will also be announced. Now, I don't know what's included in that and I don't know whether it's reimbursement or a sum of money it is. Um, people are very tight-lipped about it, but we will uh, we will know more about that in the next week or so. I hope. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. And um, I'm just going to go slightly back to flu um, because Michelle's got some some uh, interesting uh, innovations that we're hearing about. So um, is going to talk about that, but just very briefly. Um, I think we've already mentioned this previously, but we're still getting queries, so it's worth repeating. If you do use a venue that is not currently listed on your statement of purpose for CQC, you do need to amend your statement of purpose to say, we are providing this service, e.g. flu, at this location, um, and, and this is our process for doing it. You can keep the process on a policy back at the, at the surgery, but it must go on your statement of purpose that you're using a separate venue. I'll hand over to Michelle now, who's going to talk to you a little bit more about flu and then also about some childhood ins. OK, so um, just on the flu, there was a couple of things. The first thing is um, Dawn has been working on um, 
a calculator to complement the work that Lizzie's already done on our flu calculator. And this is um, this will help practices cost out what it would be to run a service, a flu, a flu clinic off site. Um, so we're just road testing this at the moment and it'll be available shortly. But watch this space. I think that might help with one of the questions that's a part of a question that's on our Q&A's. The other bits just to talk about at our PM conference last week, we talked through the drive through models and we've actually got two practices within our area that um, we are going to work with. One is Fording Bridge and the other is um, in North Hampshire. They're actually running drive through clinics and we're going to try and um, pull together some information to learn from them um, and to share with practices. I think it's probably worth saying that we're unclear at this moment in time whether public health or CCGs will be in agreement to fund the cost around tents, marquees, venues, etc. I think it's unlikely, but um, it's worth considering using local venues such as schools. They might be willing to offer this without charge to practices. Um, and we've got some examples of that also in our area. The other thing to consider is whether if you use the schools, whether you could use the students and, um, and use them as marshals. So it's being creative with um, how you access support. Not not the five-year-olds then, Michelle, hey? Maybe the, six Maybe the secondary school ones might be better, <laughs> or the sixth formers for their um, Duke of Edinburgh awards might be an option. Um, so just going on to uh, childhood IMS. So back at the beginning of the year, uh, the routine childhood um, immunisation schedule changed particularly around the PCV vaccination so originally this was three doses and they were at eight weeks 16 weeks and um, the first birthday however for any infants that are born after the 1st of January um, they now require only two doses of um, PCV so this is at 12 weeks which is alongside their routine um, schedule and also at the boosters given at the on or after their first birthday. Um, we've recently met with public health and they um, raised some issues with us that they think practices might be continuing to work under the old schedule so that um, patients may have been given the three doses instead of the two. So it's just to warn you that you potentially will be contacted if this is applicable to you um, from public health to look at um, any catch up that you might need to do as a consequence of this. We would also suggest you go and check your information in your baby clinics to ensure that it does reflect the new immunisation schedule. Um, and there is a, an updated poster that Public Health have made available. Um, if Dawn, could you pop the link into the chat bar um, so practices can see that, because that's quite useful to print out. The other element of childhood IMS I wanted to talk about was the NHSE letter that was released on the 9th of July, which was sort of like the next steps um, uh, in relation to COVID. And in Annex A, there was reference to any practice who has um, experienced an issue with achieving their targets for childhood IMS. Um, and if you can evidence that information or that fact, then you potentially can claim and put a claim into, it said local commissioners, but it's actually public health. So our understanding is that practice will be um, being contacted shortly to let you know what you need to do to do that. Um, we believe you're going to need to put a manual claim in, providing copies of your open extra statements, showing that um, you have had a difference in your uptake in your target payments. And that was it.
Thank you, Michelle. Um, I think this is probably best answered by Nigel. Just It's just a comment, really. We're drowning, workloads are meant, and all staff are struggling, clinical and managerial. Everything is taking so much longer, and there's concern about long-term sustainability. And that's obviously been liked by a number of the practice managers. Yeah, yeah I think we share your concern. When I, I um, a couple of weeks ago, went on a briefing call with the Treasury with Department of Health, and was questioned about the workload and the data they're extracting, which doesn't reflect the true workload in practices. So, you know, part of the feeding into the discussions are um, multifactorial. So it's the um, people who present with current illnesses, those that have been waiting because of lockdown. There's the, in some of our areas, secondary care is pushing work into primary care because they can't manage it and want us to do it. Um, and some of the easing of the burden of regulation, the barriers are reappearing. So we absolutely recognise what um, you're all saying. And again, that's you know what we're pushing for is um, if you look at COVID, COVID is a um, you know a new virus that we hadn't seen before. But it's hard to argue it's not part of general practice what we do. But what we are arguing and why we need the COVID fund is that the work associated with delivering primary care is different from how they set out our global sum. Uh, everything's taking longer, it costs more, and that's why we believe there should be more resources available. But practice need to be uh, mindful that, that it's the additionality bit. So what we're pushing for is extra money to get extra staff or to expand your existing staff to manage the workload. This isn't going to be about getting extra money to increase the profitability of practices. So it's the additionality element that we need to look. But yeah. you know, we are well aware of um, what what you are all as practice managers reporting. And I think uh, you know I've been banging on about this ever since COVID started. I mean that you know there was a massive big push for GPs and nurses and other allied health professionals to return to the NHS to help mainly with COVID and when I've spoken to public health recently and I've said we've still got these people they've been put back on the performers list some of them they can do vaccinations why can't we have them help with the flu so that the practice can continue with it you know doing its normal catch-up and we have additional people paid for um, by by government um, I was told that that will only be considered if there is a mass vaccination program for COVID probably alongside flu so you know it is it's it's we're pushing against a very strong barrier I'm afraid. Okay thank you. Uh, moving on to um, hot sites so is the guidance from the LMC about whether hot patients can be seen as home visits one of the CCGs is looking at that as an option and um, there's another frustration I think it's West Ham CCG another frustration that actually this CCG is meeting and said you couldn't have your site to to start with, split, part cold, part hot. Now they're thinking maybe it could. So I just just general advice on um, okay. hot sites going forward. So, so the CCG is trying to be pragmatic. So what we need to do is if, if there is a lot of COVID around, we need to separate out those who are high risk from those who are low risk from those which are seen in a COVID secure site. So in, in most areas, the hot sites are quite quiet if they still exist and in some areas they've um, stopped they've, they've mothballed them 
with the expectation they might need to increase that in the future if we get a second spike which is more likely to be local than region than uh, national that we step up the hot sites but then as we go into the winter we're going to be i think practices will need to look at if they separate the people with infectious disease i.e pyrexial people who are symptomatic from those who are coming in for routine care and i would argue unless we hit significant numbers you know people have come to harm because routine care isn't available so you know the number of people who've been adversely affected and life expectancy reduced with cancer and other medical condition um, will yet to be fully evaluated but it has happened so much as we need to be mindful of covid we need to be mindful of the risks of not managing people effectively whether that's long term conditions or acute presentations and also some patient fears who had cancer symptoms who didn't present to their gp or anybody else because they were more frightened of covid than anything else so when we go forward you know we've had lots of discussions with ccgs about you know do we stand down local hot sites and then have one regional hot site covering a big area well the, the, what will happen then is people won't go to it so the ccgs cannot in your contract they can't make you have a hot site they can't make you zone your practice that's up to you as individual practices to decide how you do it all i would say is that through pcns practices have collaborated fantastically and you're going to do this you're going to need to do the same in the autumn most probably so you need to look about how do we manage people um with the winter pressures you know those people are going to come in including the covid and that's where i would say for the average pcn and none of you are average and it will vary from area to area you might have one site again which becomes the um, hot site or the infectious site where you wear full ppe take all the precautions but you keep your other site to do the more routine care um but again you know um i saw carol's eyes disappear uh, up to the back of her head when i mentioned ccgs up being but you know having worked with quite a few of the ccgs on this they are really trying to be supportive and helpful um, and i think i it, have i've heard of one that is saying um that high risk patients should receive a home visit and that is not our stance okay well let, let's contract says is okay it? let's have a discussion outside here because you probably don't want to name and shame them but i would disagree with that i would say as as practices it is up to your you and your clinicians to risk assess everybody and i think you know the idea that every person with a temperature who might have covid need to home visit that the the nhs will just fall over so you know i i think you've had a trial run in the um march april um and early may um you are the experts knowing how to manage this i think we'll learn from that and move into the winter um and and do what we need to so if you do get things which are blatantly um ridiculous then please come to us I mean mostly the ccgs will talk to us occasionally a member of the ccg will make a comment and carol's comment there it may be that's not the ccg policy it may be somebody has made that comment so you know if we do get comments like that feed it back to us and we will take it up with the individual or the organisation it sounds as if communication with patients is going to get ever more important to get it right and to get it clear um i just has one comment that some of the miscommunication may have been that when patients want a face to face appointment they have to be phone, phone triaged first are there any tips you can give the practices yeah look at look at the stuff i sent out and get your staff to 
make sure the message is clear and they've got a script to use. I have stood at the back of my reception and my receptionists are, are, were brilliant, fantastic practice manager, but I stood there and heard them say, really sorry, there's no appointment today, please phone back at eight o'clock tomorrow and we, we will release some more. And I'm saying, please don't say that because, you know, people can't get through at eight o'clock and we're just making the problem worse. Well, you know, find out. So it is sometimes what, I mean, I get that what people are saying is that the patients hear, you know, they get a message and they hear not necessarily what they want to hear, but the message they've heard is not the message the receptionists think they're giving. So the words that are used and the explanations are really critical for something like this. So, you know, have a script that you use would be my advice. And that's in that document. Okay, thanks, Nigel. A um, couple of other ones. So now travel restrictions have been eased. Should we start to run our travel clinics again? Yes, but the, most of the places you need vaccinations to go to aren't on the open list. So, you know, I would look to offer it. Again, I would say it's all, we go back to the standard thing. It's risk assessing what you do, but... In all, in all honesty, if you look at the level of COVID that's around in Hampshire, Dorset, Wilshire, around, it is incredibly low. If it peaks, then you may need to revise what you're doing and need to be flexible. Okay. We have got some information in our operational document on that, so it might be worth having a look at that. Thank you, Michelle. Um, so PPE and flu, and I'm sure we're going to be coming back to that for the next few weeks. Um, It'd be great if staff were able to wear the same masks and visors per session. Um, I understand that probably information isn't out yet. or when It when is. We, it is. So they, okay. they can wear the same mask for the session, but at the moment they would need to change their gloves and their apron. But that's what, that's what we're trying to get clarity on. Okay, great. Carol, where can we get the PCN workforce forecast document from, please? Your PCN. Your, your clinical director. So they're the ones that will be submitting it to the CCG who will then onward submit to NHS England. So it's best to go to your clinical director and your PCN to make sure that um, you see what's going to be submitted. You're, you're a member practice, you're entitled to see it. Um, Carol, you, men you mentioned AccuRx. Um, are there any figures for how much they would cost if one federation is look looking at sort of funding it or trying to work out some numbers? We did a modelling in Dorset because that was the only one they, they were quick off the ball. So Dorset's what, about 700,000 population and it was about half a million. Um, it's, it's somewhere around 49... 47, 47 or 49p, but they've yeah. got two or three versions of it. Yeah. And my advice to practice and federations, don't do anything at the moment. Not yet. They're, they're, the market will suddenly be flooded. So um, if you look at TPP, there's a version called... AMIR, which adds on to TPP, which allows, I think, video consultation. E-Consult uh, e is going to have a video consultation module, and there are other providers that are going to come into the market. So as far as I'm aware, AccuRx is the first one to um, publicise what um, they're going to charge. The others haven't at the moment. So I, I suspect there will be a real scurry and then uh, um, deals that will be done. But like Carol said earlier on, you know, 97% of practices in Wessex are using AccuRx. It's a very good product. It works really well, but it should be provided to general practice, not paid for by general practice. There may be an element of federations or other providers who might want to buy it for their specific use, which is outside the GMS contract. And I think that's something that we would look at. But I would 
caution anybody to rush ahead and buy it or pay for it at the moment. Yeah. Michelle, did you want to come in? I could I could see you were, may have no 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 you're fine. Okay, great. Okay. Um Carol, with CQRS changing to PCSE, will they make sure there are webinars for training staff? Huh. Of course she says optimistically. Um, they tend to do stuff more through their website with instructions and things, but um, we are in constant contact with them as is the GPC. So um, I think you're right. I think it would be a lot better if we do get it, maybe, you know, a podcast or something with, with um, you know, sharing screens and things. So we'll, we'll, we will push for that. I, I haven't got any detail yet. So um, I mean, Carol, I think probably we ought to talk to the person in charge of education and training in the LMC to see if they could put on some training for us. We'll do what we can. We'll certainly have a look at that. If that's a need, then that's certainly I'm sure we can have a little look at that. <laughs> um, just a comment, um, Carol, about the workforce document. Apparently it went to the workforce leads in the PCNs. So those are the people to ask if, um, if you're struggling to find that. I'm really, um, I'm really impressed if a PCN has a workforce lead. Yeah, no, Louise and I are in touch with the workforce leads right. constantly and they do come to the peacocks in various areas as well. So, um, so, yeah. so perhaps through this, could we ask the workforce leads within PCNs who must be practice managers, I can't believe that somebody else but a practice manager. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't risk leaving such a responsible thing with the GP. Could could we ask um I mean we might go out to them as well, but it would be really helpful if they shared their plans with us so we got a sense of where the PCNs were looking to go. Yeah, I think I think um, some of the PCOGs that Andy and I and Michelle and Lisa and that go to, we do tend to get that information. But I haven't seen, I don't know about you, Michelle, I haven't seen a full um, AWRS forecast yet, but then it's not due until the end of August. I suspect we will get to see them, Nigel, and I think you're right. We need to do some comparisons and, you know, make sure that everything is is, is moving in, in the right direction. So, Well, also, some of us are involved. So I sit on a regional workforce group and a Hampshire and Isle of Wight workforce group. So it would be useful to know that information rather than try and rely on it from another source. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I just wanted to say a little bit about what we're going to do with webinars going forward. Um, I think we are very conscious of all your time um, and all the information that's coming through. We try to be as smart on that as possible, but we don't want to send you too many emails, too many newsletters, but it's hard to get the balance right. But we feel now with, um, it might be sensible for perhaps to go to um, alternate weeks for our webinars. And Nigel will also be running the LMC news updates, which is for GPs, practice managers, practice nurses, for, for everybody. Um, this particular one is just for practice managers. So we'll, we'll start an alternate week situation. We'll run one next week, then we'll do alternate weeks. We'll be, we will put the information out, we will send the links to you, and we will do a daily just to let you know it's happening and this is a link, which I think is probably quite helpful for people um, because we know just trying to find the um, details is difficult. We know the invitations that come via Zoom aren't necessarily terribly straightforward to deal with, but we're also trying to work with that. So just to let you know, we will be here next week for one o'clock for Practice Manager webinar. And this particular one today is being recorded, as I said, and that will be available as one of our audio podcasts later. And we'll also do the FAQs, which Michelle and Dawn are brilliant at working on, and we'll, we will link that up with the um, webinar when it goes out. So thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Nigel, Michelle, Carol, and Dawn, and um, we will see you next week. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.